Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. Two weeks ago, we spent some time, and I've already written in the two for today, but we spent some time talking about the letter of the law. Thank you, sir. The letter of the law. And the idea is, and and what we have to understand there is that the children of Israel experienced the intensity of God in a way that they hadn't to this point coming out of Egypt. They had seen his hand against the Egyptians and against their enemies, and and they seen this, this fierceness of God pointed in other directions. But if you recall, he gathered them around uh, we covered from about Exodus 19 through somewhere around Exodus, no, it was exactly Exodus 23, 23. And he gathered them around Mount Sinai and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's the voice from heaven. And he's given some pretty clear instruction like you're going to stand in this particular place. And if you touch the mountain, you're going to be shot with arrows and stoned to death. And so they, they get scared and rightfully so and they start to back away and they tell Moses uh we got an idea Moses how about you go talk to God and then you just come back and tell us what he said because we don't want to be around there and Moses in communicating with the Lord was able to come back to the people and say the fear that God is putting before you it's not meant to drive you away from him but it's to to keep you in the day of temptation when, when things come up in your life that, that you're tempted to transgress the law that God's going to give, you're going to be able to remember this and think, you know what, maybe that doesn't sound so fun. Or maybe that's not so appealing because I don't want to deal with the wrath of God. We also pointed out there, and I think this is important. In fact, it's very important considering what we're going to get into today, that at that time, that's the first time that God verbally communicated the Ten Commandments. And he did so in the ears of all the people. So we're going to get into Moses being on the mount and receiving the Ten Commandments uh, written by the finger of God in stone today. But the people that were not on the mountain at that time, they were not oblivious to God's commands. They had already heard from God's mouth, per se, the Ten Commandments. They knew what his expectations were. Um... The law was not confined to this concise Ten Commandments, but instead after Moses went to commune with with God and then he would come back and relay to the people, we found that there were three chapters of specifics. So God didn't just give out some vague instruction with these Ten Commandments, but we see through the delivering of the law during this time around Exodus 19 to 23, there's three chapters of God giving law after law after law after law. He's, he's telling them how to interact with one another and how to treat one another. And, and what do you do when this happens? And what do you do when that happens? And he's given them a very detailed list. We concluded our study uh, two weeks ago with Psalms chapter number one. 
Because the, the takeaway, the crux of that message and the lesson that they had to learn was a proper perspective towards God's law. God's law isn't, oh, that's all the rules that I can't do. Suck our thumb and, and be sad. No, we see in Psalms 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So we see that if my heart is right concerning the law of God, and I, I delight in God's law, and I take joy in God's law, and I meditate and consider and, and ponder those laws so that I can apply them to my life, that there is blessing, there is prosperity, and there is protection that comes from having the right view of God's law. Now, if we move forward, uh, leaving chapter 23, or the, the latter part of 23, and going into chapter 24, we're going to read Exodus 24 and verse 3. So Moses has been there. He's been receiving the law. He comes back to the people in 24 and verse 3. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. That's important for us to know. These people just had an incredible encounter with God. Mount Sinai, the thunder and the lightning and the voice and everything we just talked about. And then they, they get a little bit skittish and they back off and Moses goes on ahead he receives the specific instruction from God. He comes back and the Bible tells us he told them everything that God told them. And they said, everything God said, we're willing to do it. Deal. They, they signed on the dotted line, if you will. There was a, a handshake that took place between God's people and himself. Exodus 24 and verse 12 says, The Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there. And I will give the tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. So in verse 3, Moses comes back. He communicates to the people. They agree. And God says, okay, then it's settled. Moses, come on back up on the mount. I'm going to deliver to you the law. I'm going to give you some tables of stone. And then you're going to be able to teach them to the people. Exodus 24 and verse 18 this is near the end of that chapter. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. So 40 days has transpired between the people saying, everything God said to do, we're going to do it. And where we're picking up right now. Exodus 25, all the way through chapter 31, we get a glimpse of what's taking place on the mountaintop. Between God and Moses. Um, Exodus 25 through 27. These are, these are things we have to skip. They're not going to be on here. But it's important. There's several chapters. 25, 26, 27. Are all instructions to do with the tabernacle. We could probably spend the next couple months just talking about lessons from the tabernacle. 
Um, Exodus 28 through chapter 29, verse 9, are instructions concerning the priesthood. And Exodus 29, verse 10 through verse 31, are instructions concerning sacrifices, offerings, and acts of service. So I told you, I'm feeling grateful for the church today. Uh, The church is important to God. The structure and and the organization behind how His people gather and meet and fellowship with Him. Here we have uh, six chapters where God's talking to Moses. Forty days and forty nights. And the majority of it is is God telling him, this is how the tabernacle is going to look. This is how I want it designed. This this is what I want to happen. This is how the priesthood is going to operate. And this is who it's going to be. And this is how the anointing is going to be facilitated. And, and here's the sacrifices that I am going to accept. And, and for 40 days, the Lord just rambles on about he want, what He wants the, the church in the wilderness to look like. It was important to God. We get to Exodus 32... And it's like we just fast forward back down the mountain to where the people are. It's only been 40 days since they they had this magnificent encounter and and God has spoken. And man, they've had such an experience. See, sometimes our walk with God is is so based on experience. And man, what a a service that was or or what a message. And wow. But 40 days later, we might not be feeling the same way we were. So here we get to Exodus 32 and chapter 1. And I drive that point home because when we're just reading through this in our Bible, sometimes we don't make that comparison. And we read way back in uh, Exodus 24, the commitment, and then we've got a lot of somewhat cumbersome reading before we get to Exodus 32. And so we forget that this happened so quickly. But it's only been 40 days. And they they find themselves 32 in verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. That's a pretty bold statement. Now, I will say this. I don't think it happened on day 40. Like they just, they were committed. They were just so blessed by that experience that for 39 days, they were just raptured in in ecstasy and relationship with God. And then they woke up on day 40 and said, you know, guys, I I think we should probably just move on. But no, there had been an erosion that, that had taken place from the experience to this point. At some point in time, without Aaron being a part of it, people had started to talk. Man, you know, Moses has been up there for like 10 days. Yeah, it's been a while, but it'd be all right. I don't know, man. It's 10 days. He's probably dead. Nah, he's, come on, man. Then like 15 days, and and then 20 days, and man, you know what? I think you might be right. I heard some wolves up there the other night. Yeah, I don't know. What are, what are we going to do now? So they, they eventually counsel among themselves before they ever go to Aaron and they make the decision of what they're going to do. I tell you what we're going to do. And, and when they come to Aaron, there's no counsel saw. They come to Aaron and they say, get up and make us a God. Aaron should have responded much differently, but he didn't. 
Aaron complies and he, he gives them the instruction, go out, take all your gold, all your all like earrings and bracelets and all the stuff you brought out of Egypt and, and bring them to me. I'll make you a God. And he throws all of this gold into a furnace and he crafts it into a, a golden calf. I don't know, maybe it was different then. I mean, if I was going to create my own God, it probably wouldn't be a cow. But that's what he came up with. He makes himself this golden calf and he brings it out before the people and he proclaims it as the God that brought them out of Egypt. You read it in, in 32. Here's the God that has brought you out of Egypt. Notice what happens here. He doesn't say it's a different God. He doesn't say it's a new God. He says, this is the same God that you just had an experience with in chapter 24. Here, he, here is your God. We see this because he calls him the Lord. And when you read that in your Bible, Exodus 32 and 5, and when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And he's talking about this calf when he says that, but when you read it in your Bible, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's a reference to, to Jehovah. We're going to have a feast to Jehovah. And, and this, this is Jehovah, this wonderful golden calf. And so he completely perverts the identity of God. Now, did they not hear the Ten Commandments when God was speaking from the mountaintop? You're not going to have no gods before me. You're not going to have any graven image. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. And here they are doing the exact same thing that they said they weren't going to do all in the name of Jesus. That's a scary thought. Oh, all the things God said, we're going to do it. And rather than admit their backslidden state, some 40 days later, they slip directly into contradiction to God's word, and yet they try to maintain their spirituality. That's a dangerous thought. God's initial response was to destroy them. Honesty of God's word. He said to Moses, I'm going to, to blot them out. I'm going to destroy this people. I, I, I'm not dealing with it anymore. Up until this point, God has not said things like that. He has is, he is catered to their whimpering and their whining. He's dealt with all of the things that, that Moses endured. He, he just continued to provide. But now it's as if he's had enough. He says, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to completely annihilate this people. Moses intercedes for the people, appealing to the reputation of God and his faithfulness to his own promises. God turns from his desire to consume the people. <coughs> Moses makes his way back down the mountain and he, he gets to the bottom of the mountain and he, he just casts the, the stones down. He destroys the, the calf. The Bible says that he grinds it up. He throws it into the water and then causes the people to drink the water. Moses confronts Aaron. And this is, I find a little bit of comedy in it because you either laugh or cry. But Moses comes to Aaron and says, what did you do? What, you, what is your problem? And, and Aaron says, oh man, it's all the people's fault. He said, they, it's, it's their problem. And, and then, you know, they brought me all this gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. It's not what happened. We read it. He fashioned it with a tool. 
But he's not willing, he's not ready to admit that. He's not to a place where he, he's going to repent. Exodus 32, 26-28 And Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day three thousand men. The people of God learn a lesson here on their journey from bondage to promise, and that is there is an extremely high cost to sin. That's a valuable lesson for us to learn as, as we make this journey that is very, very similar. There is an extremely high cost to sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. We don't find that to be any different in this example given to us through the actions of the people in the Old Testament. Moses again begins to intercede for the people before God. We go to Exodus 32 and um, verse 35. The Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. So not only was there this, this death that took place at the hand of the Levites through the instruction of Moses, but there's also a plague that comes upon the people through the Lord. Exodus 33 opens with a somber tone because the Lord makes some declarations. The Lord declares that He will indeed make the people enter the promised land for His namesake. Essentially saying, because I have made this promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as, as Moses appeals to him, he says, I'll take this people into the promised land, but there's a caveat. He declares his presence will be removed from among them. The beginning verses of chapter 33. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a way for them to go. I'm going to send Moses before them. They're going to go into the promised land. But I am not going to be among them lest I consume them. <coughs> That's a bad deal. God's presence removed. Sin not only resulted in physical death, but it severed the relationship between God and His people. God said, I'll do it because I said I would do it. And I'm, I'm a God of my word, but I'm not spending time with this people anymore. I can't be with them because of the sin that's there. It's amazing to me that at this point in chapter 33, there still has not been repentance. There, there's, Moses confronts Aaron. He lies, makes up a story. There's, there's all this death in the camp. There's a plague that comes. And the people still have not begun to take ownership and repent. But they also learn the power of repentance. Thankful for us, we have the example. And thankful, thankful for them, they learn the lesson. But faced with God's presence being removed, the people begin to repent. The remainder of chapter 33 is a description of their repentance along with Moses' prayers to God on behalf of the people. We see that the place of meeting 
set up that small tabernacle, that small tent that was outside of the camp that we've been studying on Wednesday nights. This is the context of, of where that thing was established. That place where anyone that would inquire of the Lord, they, they could go there and seek after God. That place that Moses would go in and all the people would stand at, at the door of their tent and watch. Well, now here's the context of everything we've been studying on Wednesday. It's a somber moment. It's, it's a, really a bad thing. God said, I'm not going to be there. My presence isn't going to be there. And so now we see why they worshipped when they stood in their tent. And they watch Moses go into this place and begin to seek after God and pray and intercede. And the scripture tells us, we read it on Wednesday, that the glory of the Lord covered that place. His presence came down on that place and they worshiped in response. What brought God's presence back? It wasn't their desire to have God's presence back. It wasn't Moses' prayers alone. It was the people's willingness to repent. Because repentance is powerful. Exodus 34, 9 through 11. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, Moses is speaking, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us from thine inheritance. Verse 10, and he said, behold, I make a covenant before all the people. I will do marvels. God is speaking now. Such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shalt see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Pezzarite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. In response to their repentance, the Lord extends both mercy and grace. He extends His mercy in not consuming them. I mean, that's, that's what they deserved. That's what He originally wanted to do. He's a righteous God. He would not have been unrighteous to consume this people because they earned that consequence. But he extends his mercy as a response to their repentance. He extends his grace when he recommits to be with them and continue to keep his end of the covenant. That's what they did not deserve. They did deserve to be consumed. God didn't give it to them. That's mercy. They did not deserve for his presence to come back in and dwell among them and be their God and do wonders and, and mighty things in their presence and, and drive out all their enemies. And yet God decides to do this as well. <coughs> now, even though our relationship is defined by a new covenant, we still serve the same God that we read about in Exodus. That's the point of following this journey. There's so much stuff for us to learn. He's still a God of law. When we consider this Jesus that we serve, the God of the New Testament, He's still a God of law. We do well to recognize that He's not forsaken any expectation of His people. Hebrews 10 and 16 
This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts and into their minds will I write them. So Jesus didn't say in the New Testament, he didn't instruct the writers in the New Testament. Uh, in Hebrews here, he's actually quoting Jeremiah, a prophecy that went forth that I'm not going to abandon law, but I'm going to take my law off of tables of stone and I'm going to write them into the hearts and into the minds of my people. The false doctrine that declares the New Testament as a lawless relationship with God is a wide road that will lead many to hell. There are a lot of people right now that are living like the Israelites were when they were standing before a golden calf saying, this is the God that has brought us out of Egypt. No, it's not. And you can worship and you can hold all the feasts and you can do all the things you want to do. But living in sin and calling something that's God that's not God doesn't make it true. God never changed, even though the people fashioned something new. And, and that's what's happened in, in a, lot of, a lot of forms of religion. It's not a golden calf, but it's a different image of Jesus. It's a different presentation of who God is. And He doesn't care what you do. And, and He loves you so much that He could never send anyone to hell. And, and everything's okay. You just, you just keep coming to church. And, and you just put a little bit of money in the plate. And, and you, know, you can plan to sin on Friday night as, as long as you repent right away afterwards. Well, that's not even real repentance. And so we've, we've fashioned within our society a golden calf of modern day proportions. And, and people all around the community and all around our society worship this golden calf in the name of Jesus. The fact is, he still has laws. The other sad fact is we still break them. <laughs> Sorry, again, you got to laugh or you got to cry. Today I'm going to choose to try to laugh. Sometimes we break his laws through ignorance. If you're driving down the road at 65 miles an hour and the speed limit's 35 miles an hour and you don't know the speed limit's 35 miles an hour and you get pulled over by a police officer and he says, you were driving 65, the speed limit's 35, and you say, well, officer, I didn't know the speed limit was 35, what is he going to say to you? <laughs> Within our court system, ignorance is not a viable defense. If you walk into a store and you pick up some stuff that you like to have and you make your way out the door with it without paying and you stand before the judge and you go, well, judge, I didn't know I was supposed to pay for it. He's going to say, well, ignorance is not a viable defense. And so there are times, not because we have a heart that's set against God, there are just times that in ignorance we go against his laws and his commands. I mean, if, if you're anything like me, you, you come to God and, and you think you've got it right. You're like, yeah, I'm finally, finally living for God. And then you start reading the Bible and you're like, I'm not really living for God. I got to change some more stuff. I got to alter some more behaviors. I got to fix my attitude because I was ignorant of these facts. So sometimes we break God's laws through ignorance. Sometimes we break his laws through weakness. I talked about at the beginning of this service, the, the pressures that we face and we walk out of here and we have Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and there's all this pressure that, that's coming against us and appealing to the flesh and, and trying to get us to do the things that God says we shouldn't or, or to avoid the things that God says we should. And there are moments of weakness in our life where we fall and we sin before God. We break his law knowingly in a moment of weakness. 
Somewhere along the lines, we, we got it within the mind of the church that we're never supposed to be weak. And if you, if you have a moment of weakness, well, you must not even love God. Well, we're going to read some Scripture in a moment that will prove that that's not the case. I think I preach strong enough on a normal basis that nobody's going to leave here thinking that I, I'm preaching you can just sin and it's not a big deal. I'm not talking about premeditated sin, but there are times that we fall and we break God's law in moments of spiritual weakness. Sadly enough, and hopefully not very frequently, especially as we become more mature in our walk with God, there are other times that we break God's law simply through decision. Well, I don't think that's right. We have a bad attitude about it. We don't really agree with it. We frankly just don't want to do it at the moment. And we could maybe say, well, that is a moment of weakness. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just a moment of stubbornness. And we find ourselves conflicting God's law out of decision. No matter how dramatic our conversion, we still have to deal with flesh, worldly pressures, and demonic attacks. See, they had the experience. I mean, if, if Mount Sinai wasn't an experience that could keep people for 40 days... I don't know what I've experienced outside of being filled with God's presence on the inside that can relate to that. But experience alone isn't going to help me 40 days later, 50 days later, 10 years later. I've got to have a renewed experience. I've got to have a fresh walk with God. It's not going to help me if I'm just looking back in the past. Occasional failure is unavoidable. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is a passage of Scripture written to believers. By a preacher who uses the word us. He didn't stand up there and point his finger and say, if you say you don't have any sin in your life, you're a liar. No, he said, if, if we say, if, if as believers, we say that we have no sin, notice he's also using present tense verbs. So he didn't say, if we say that we have never sinned, that's, like how, that's how we like to word things sometimes because it, it takes the spotlight off the fact that we might mess up occasionally now, too. He's using present tense verbs that includes everyone in the room. And he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The good news is, he still responds to repentance. So yes, he's still a God of law. And yes, we still break that law. But if we keep reading the next verse in 1 John, so 1 John 1 and 9, 1 John 1 and 8 said, we're going to mess up. 1 John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, there's a lot of promises in the Word of God that pertain to us as His people. And most of them begin with that word, if. If. He said, if we confess our sins. Repentance 
is required. Acknowledging my sin is not enough to make it right with God. Just, oh, whoops, shouldn't have done that. I'll do better next time. No, repentance is still required. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. But repentance is not a punishment. It's an open door for opportunity. Humble yourselves in the presence of God and seek after a restored relationship. And this is, this is the meat. I'm, I'm almost done. This is where we have to change our perception on repentance. We view repentance and it's, it's really a road that leads to two different things. Number one, it releases me from the consequences of my sin. And we're familiar with hearing that. You turn or burn. So I'll, I'll, I'll turn then. But here's the other thing it does. It restores my relationship with God. Yes, it alleviates the, the consequences. I experience God's mercy through repentance, but there's also grace that's extended when I walk down this path of repentance that leads me back to a place where I can get right with Him. He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is grace. He gives us what we do not deserve. Access to His shed blood. So it's not just about escaping the consequences. When we talk about repentance and, and we learn the power of repentance, it's not a scapegoat or a way out so that you know mom and dad don't find out and I don't get my butt whooped when I get home. No, it, it's, a, it's the fact that, hey, you know what? If, if I walk down this road of repentance, I'm going to have my, my walk with God restored. He's going to come back into the camp and allow His presence to dwell among us. He's going to come back into my life. He's going to allow His presence to flow back into my life and, and spend time with me and fellowship with me. If I'll just repent and get this thing out of my life, whether it's because I was ignorant or whether it's because I didn't know or I was stubborn or I was weak, the, the rationale doesn't matter. If I'll just get rid of it, if I'll just repent, then, then look at what I can gain. Look at what I can gain. I'm going to close. You can come. We will not travel this journey from bondage to promise without stumbling at times. But stumbling does not have to keep us from reaching our destination. Forgiveness and cleansing is available. And many times repentance is preached in fiery terms intended to reach lost humanity and keep them out of hell. And that's needed. We, we need those messages. Because that is one part of it. But today I feel like the heart of God is leading me to present an opportunity for repentance in loving tones. Not fiery tones to scare you out of hell, but in loving tones to steer God's people forward to promise. There's a different call to repentance. If there's anything in your life that you found to be ignorant of, you found yourself to be ignorant of, if there's anything that, that you're struggling with, if there's, if there's sin that just keeps knocking at the door and, and it's pulling on you, you can repent. That doesn't have to be a dramatic thing. I think we haven't overplayed repentance, but some, in some ways we've 
dramatic, made it so dramatic. Oh, I gotta run and I gotta cry and I got. No, you just turn your heart back to God. Lord, you said, that's what changed it. It wasn't all the punishment. In, in their lives, in the example that we were given, all the death and everything, that the plague, it wasn't the punishment, but it was when God said, okay, fine, I can't be around you. Then all of a sudden, the heart of the people said, oh God, we've been wrong. We, we've, we've handled this the wrong way. Don't, don't let your presence, we, we've got to have that. We need that. God said, okay, I'll come back. It wasn't a, a mean thing. It was an act of love. It was, it was a, a prompting to restore relationship. I hope that this message reaches you today and you don't have anything major in your life right now that you need to repent of. Maybe you squirrel this away for next time a weakness strikes. But we ought to be quick to repent. Quick to repent. Repentance isn't an embarrassing thing. If we could ever get past that in the church, how much better off would we be? Oh man, I, I can't go to the altar today. Everybody's going to know I messed up. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So let's just get past that, that fleshly pride that wants to convince everybody else we've got it all together. And if you need to repent, repent. Because God's ready. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to have an opportunity to pray, close out our service with an altar, altar service, a time of prayer, seeking after the Lord before we go into a time of fellowship. And just that quickly, just in the next few moments, if there's anything you need to make right, you can do it. folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.